Hello. Welcome back to the audio diary of Aaron Lockman. It was not until about a month later that another development occurred in the story of me and my roommates. I feel as though I should inform you that these events I am narrating constituted a relatively minor slice of my life that summer and fall. Most of my time was spent much like yours probably is, working, hanging out with my friends, making sure my rent was paid and my soul was intact. But in every life there is always a small handful of moments which haunt all the rest. These are those moments. I held off telling Alex about Jacob's strange disappearance in the bathroom at the beach. I let life continue unhindered for as long as I could bear, not wishing to disturb the delicate, balanced tranquility that seemed to have established itself between my three roommates and I. Until finally, unable to bring myself to confide in Alex or confront Jacob, I decided to talk to Emil. My third and final roommate's full name was Emil Adolf Suk III, and he himself was quite as peculiar as his name suggests. If Jacob was the type of roommate who you suspected might kill you by slipping a thin, sharp knife between your ribs as you slept, staring calmly into your panicked eyes with his implacable gray ones as you were shocked into consciousness and then slowly leached of it for one final time. If Jacob was that type of roommate, Emile was the type who would kill you entirely by accident, with the best of intentions, perhaps by attempting to brew up a cure for shingles in his bedroom laboratory, and in doing so set off a catastrophic chemical explosion that would take out the whole block. Nothing like this had happened yet, that example was merely hypothetical, but Emile's bedroom was right across the hall from mine, and I often observed the after-effects of Emile's chaotic experiments— one time, he emerged from his bedroom soaked from head to toe in what appeared to be butter, slamming the door behind him in a panic. That room's not going to be habitable for a while, he had remarked amiably to nobody in particular, before walking calmly down the hall toward the kitchen, making soft squelching sounds as he went. Another time, I saw him take what appeared to be a dead octopus, all slimy and orange and droopy, into his room, followed by what sounded like jolts of electricity, followed by Emil shouting, Well, that's concerning! This was followed by a series of thumps and crashes that sounded suspiciously like a fist fight, followed by crashing glass and a cry of, Give that back, you animal! What do you need my acoustic guitar for? It doesn't even work underwater! Come back! Silence, and then some scratching. Then, very quietly, Well... There's $140 down the drain. However, when he wasn't doing something horrific in his room, Emil was always perfectly pleasant, even bubbly towards the rest of us. I decided, therefore, that there was merit in asking him to shed some light on what I had seen at the beach. Emil was not that close with Jacob, and I imagined this fell into his area of expertise. I decided on this course of action on a whim, on a very late night early in September, I had awoken from turbulent dreams, sweaty and startled. I opened my bedroom door, intending to get a glass of water, and saw a pale blue light coming from underneath Emile's door, accompanied by a soft electric buzzing. 
Now's as good a time as any, I thought. I stepped across the hallway and knocked twice on Emile's door. A pause. A loud sploosh, as though something heavy had been dropped into water. Then... Yip, yip, yip. It's Aaron, I said. I wish to speak with you about a matter of some import. A slightly shorter pause. Uh... Okay, said Emile. Come on in. I opened the door and stepped inside. Emile's bedroom was a beautiful, chaotic, tangled mess of assorted junk. Every available surface was covered with books, folders, guitars, milk crates, cardboard boxes of every size, and several dishes that I noted had been missing from the kitchen for weeks. Emile himself was standing in the middle of the room. He wore a pair of black cut-off jeans and yellow rubber gloves, and was shirtless under his tattered white lab coat. He was skinny and had a thick, scruffy beard that was matched in its unruly unkemptness only by his nylon blonde hair. He stood at a makeshift table he'd made from stacking two milk crates. On the table was a goldfish bowl filled with a phosphorescent blue liquid that eerily illuminated the room. Emile was hunched over it, a look of intense concentration on his kind, soft-angled face, holding two large metal tweezers in his hands. He was using the tweezers to fiddle with a dark, reddish, squishy-looking object that was floating in the liquid. Was that a raw steak? After watching him, fascinated for a few moments, I asked, What is that? Keeping his eyes on it, he said, It's a broken heart. I stepped closer and leaned in to inspect the object in the fishbowl. From this angle, I thought I could see some of the shapes— the ventricles and chambers and arteries and veins, the shapes which my high school biology textbook had told me constituted a human heart. It was hard to tell, though, in this light. What are you doing with it? I asked. He grinned. What else would I be doing? I'm trying to sew it back together. I looked into the bowl again. Indeed, laced into the surface of the heart was a patterned stitch made of tiny white thread. How's that going? I said. Not well. I need to refine the process a little more. Anyway, what can I do for you, buddy? I was snapped out of my trance. I had been so engrossed in the broken heart that I had forgotten why I was here. Right, yes, um, I was wondering, is, is this a bad time? Emile placed both pairs of tweezers on the rim of the bowl and began to remove his yellow rubber gloves. Now's fine. I wasn't really getting anywhere anyway. What's up, man? If you, um, if, if you were going to build yourself an underground secret lair, how exactly would you go about doing that? And, and, and why would somebody do that? Emile sat down on the edge of his bed, throwing the yellow rubber gloves on the floor. He stroked his beard. Hmm. Thinking of branching into the evil science business? I didn't even know that was a business, I said. This is merely hypothetical curiosity. Hmm. Well, I've always said that underground lairs are hugely impractical. See, most underground construction happens legally, and the contractors have to cooperate with the city to make sure they don't hit any water pipes or underground wires or sewer tunnels. But, if you're evil, and making a secret lair, you don't have that info, so you never know what you're going to hit. 
Plus, you got to bribe all the construction workers and engineers and architects to stay quiet because you obviously can't build the whole thing yourself. I always say, if you want a secret evil lab, rent some office space, get some thick drapes. Way cheaper and way easier. I was nodding, my mind racing. But there are underground evil lairs. They do exist. Yeah. But honestly, the guys that have them are not all that evil. I thought of Jacob, of his penetrating gray eyes, his thick, set jaw. Really, I said, what sort of person builds themselves a lair? The sort of person... Emil said, scratching his nylon blonde mane. Who's more interested in the appearance of evil, rather than actually doing evil things. Someone who's really in it for the theater of it all. The theater of evil, I said, turning the idea slowly over in my head like a rotisserie chicken. Good to know. Thank you. That's, um, that's helpful. Anytime, dude, said Emil, nodding happily. Anyway, I hate to kick you out, but I gotta get some sleep. May just have to take another stab at the broken heart in the morning. Gladly, I said. Uh, By the way, Emil, is that, um, is that your... Broken heart, you're fixing? Emile smiled, a wistful, longing smile, made more melancholy by the pale blue light of the fishbowl. No, he said. It's someone else's. I exited Emile's bedroom and entered my own, not quite sure what I had learned, but feeling strangely accomplished nonetheless. I slept, and my dreams were satisfactorily blank and dark and warm small pockets of nothingness that floated away into the night. Next time, on the audio diary of Aaron Lockman, my temporary happiness is punctured when a dark secret about Alex is revealed. That and more next week.